Here in the vineyard, we believe, is our highest priority as followers of Jesus. And it might seem like uh, I accidentally stumbled my way into this this morning, um, but actually this is really important to us as a church family. So um, once I kind of got over the initial shock, I'm kind of glad that we get to talk about this this morning. I'll do a, a bit of an intro this week, and then I'll take it a bit deeper next week as we explore how thanksgiving and worship can be, uh, how thanksgiving and worship, how we can make that a personal rhythm for each one of us in our own lives. I'm going to talk at times about how we do things in uh, the vineyard movement, and so it's important for me to say from the outset that we definitely don't believe that we have everything right in the vineyard. Uh, we're just one part of the body of Christ, or as John Wimber uh, often said, when it comes to the church, the vineyard is just one vegetable in the stew. Not one is better than another, but all are needed to bring about the best flavor. So our DNA in the vineyard, what makes us who we are, is our unique contribution to the stew. And so whilst we don't believe we're better than any other part of the body of Christ, we do want to make sure that we can fully understand, or that we do fully understand what our unique contribution is so that we can walk confidently in that, so that we can bring our flavor to the stew, if you like. And when it comes to worship, uh, we have some distinctive characteristics in the vineyard movement, which uh, you've probably noticed uh, just from being around our church family or from being involved in some things in the wider vineyard movement. As the musical part of our Worship service began this morning as Mikey and Rachel led us in that. You may have sensed anticipation in the gathering, like we were looking forward to what was about to happen. Our times of song worship are experiential. Each time we worship together, we have an expectation that we will encounter Jesus. And you may have noticed that our worship is also interactive. If you were to come in here as an observer, perhaps you were to stand up in the balcony and just kind of look over and watch people in the room as we worship, what you'll probably notice is that there are several people in the room who seem to be aware of God being present with them. And some of the ways in which we can interact with God as we worship is with hands raised, singing passionately, on our knees in devotion, singing our own song to God, or even singing in tongues as well. If I remember back to my school assemblies, which happened um, every morning at 8.45 to 9 a.m., we had uh, this little red book that could fit inside our blazer pocket. Um, I don't know if anybody else had, had anything like that. Um, and the first thing that would happen is when we get into the assembly hall or the dining hall or wherever it was that morning, um, whoever was playing the piano would say, please turn to hymn number 37 or whatever hymn was to be sung that day. And so we'd all pull out our little red hymn books and we'd turn to the, the right hymn for that morning and we'd sing the hymn. And... Uh, I, I, I actually don't have any memories during that time of ever encountering the presence of God as we sang those hymns. And that's not to say nobody did, right? Uh, but for me, um, I didn't really have a clue what we were singing half the time, <laughs> um, which was maybe more to do with the age and stage I was at. But uh, just to give you a little bit of a sample, that was my hymn book. 
And that's hymn number 37 there in all its glory. Death of deaths and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee. Happens to be the anthem for the Welsh rugby team. And there are other variations in the football world. And you're probably at this stage wondering why I'm talking about my hymn book from my school days. What has this got to do with anything to do with what we're doing here this morning and how we worship? Um, well, I'm sure that hymn and others like them were wonderful at the time. And I do love a good hymn, by the way. And, and Mikey and Rachel led us in a beautiful hymn that's kind of been updated uh, this morning. And there's so much richness and depth in hymns. So please hear me. I'm not saying we shouldn't use them. I love them. Absolutely. There's a time and there's a place for them. Um, but it's important for us to know that song worship environments are primarily a place of encounter. So whilst it's good to sing songs about God's character, like we did this morning, and it's wonderful, um, and uh, songs about who God is, we've also been invited to journey beyond that and actually meet with Jesus himself as we worship. So I'm not saying it's one or the other. I'm saying actually we've been invited to, to adore him, to to sing about his character, to praise him for his character, and actually then journey and meet with him and encounter Jesus. And that's why in the vineyard we often sing songs to Jesus as well, songs of intimate expression, if you like. Um, to give you a couple of samples, I'm not going to sing them. You'll be glad to know. Uh, I'm giving you my heart and all that is within. Hungry, I come to you. It's all about you. Jesus. Your name is like honey on my lips. Anyone can sing songs about someone, but it takes you to actually know someone to be able to sing to them. So a lot of the songs that we sing in the vineyard reflect the deep, intimate relationship that each one of us has been invited into as sons and daughters. We've been invited beyond just knowing about Jesus to actually knowing him personally, trusting in him, depending on him, allowing him to shape us. That's the difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing somebody. And so you might have noticed that intimacy marks our worship here in the vineyard. Now, um, perhaps that word intimacy just kind of rattles you a wee bit. And you're like, why is that? I don't like that word. Why does he keep using that word intimacy? Uh, and uh, sometimes in the vineyard, uh, we get accused mostly by, by blokes of singing Jesus is my girlfriend songs. Uh, so we've heard that one a few times. And whenever I started going to a vineyard church 13 years ago, I told a friend where we were going. And he said to me, you know, Ben, the thing about the vineyard is... They sing Jesus is my girlfriend songs. <laughs> and there we have it. <laughs> and uh, actually, as I've reflected on this over the years, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the songs that we sing. I just think that often, as men, uh, we aren't particularly good at letting our guards down and showing vulnerability. So the chances are we have more of a kind of, it just irritates us, it rubs up against us. And normally that's because, in fact, always that's because it's our stuff. <laughs> We just don't really like letting our guards down and showing vulnerability. But being a disciple of Jesus means learning to uh, depend on him, allowing him to tend to our souls. And that actually requires us to let our guards down and to show vulnerability. 
Dependency uh, on someone else is not a dominant cultural value. It's actually countercultural. Our culture teaches us that we need to stand up for ourselves. We need to stand up on our own two feet, that we can't show any sign of weakness, that we need to be strong, independent people. But Jesus says, come to me. Cast your anxieties on me. Or here's a good one. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's a bit of a challenge up front for us this morning. Kingdom culture is different than the culture around us. And so we must put aside our pride and our independent, I don't need anyone to help me mindset and show vulnerability in worship if we want to be transformed and to become more like Jesus and live lives that leave a lasting legacy. So all of that to say that intimacy in worship and song sung to Jesus are distinctive in the vineyard. And this comes really from our roots. When the vineyard uh, movement was in its earliest years, John and Carol Wimber were meeting with a, a small gathering of uh, worn out leaders. If you've heard me talk about John and Carol Wimber and you're kind of thinking, who are they? They were the founders of the vineyard movement or one of the founders of the vineyard movement. And uh, they met in a home every week in Southern California um, back in the late 1970s for a Bible study. And then someone brought a guitar along and started to lead the group in simple choruses, singing songs to God rather than just about Him. And they experienced God's presence in deeply profound and personal ways. And lives began to change and be transformed. And those songs of uh, intimate worship became a primary language of prayer for these people in those early days. And that love for experiencing God through worship music is now part of the genetic code of the vineyard, or it's part of our DNA, if you like. In those early gatherings, uh, singing to God and worship was personal and had as much to do with the broken and contrite heart of the person worshiping as it did with any melody that they were singing. Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like you. So simple, yet a song marked by humble and hungry heart. And that was typical of those early songs in the Vineyard movement. And John Wimber, who had been a professional musician and record producer uh, before he became a Christian, so he knew a thing or two about well-produced music, yet his understanding of worship always had to do first with God's love and our response to it. And simple songs seemed to help that life-giving interchange happen. Intimacy, purity, authenticity. They've... Uh, they've marked our worship in the vineyard from the very start. And so that's a little bit of our history as a, a movement. Whenever uh, Rebecca and I first started going to uh, the vineyard in Belfast, uh, we were dry. We had been uh, busy leading a youth drop-in for a few years. And uh, to be honest, we were feeling uh, a little bit worn out. 
Um, and as well as that, the church that we come from, it wasn't overly welcoming of the Holy Spirit. And so coming along to the vineyard for us um, was different. And hear me again, I'm not saying we're better than anyone else. I'm just talking about my experience, our experience, whenever we first encountered this style of worship in the vineyard. And for the first uh, few weeks, I was deeply moved as I encountered the love of God in worship. And every week I, I showed up with a sense of expectancy. What might God want to say to me today? And I remember just sitting there, coming early, getting in my seat, just a sense of anticipation. Because week after week I had an experience of meeting with Jesus. Weeks I'd be in tears as, as, as the Holy Spirit just met me. And over a number of weeks, God renewed my passion and began to stir a fresh hunger in me. We were singing this morning, stir it up, God. Stir it up in our hearts, a passion for your name. Here was me coming as this burnt out 20-something, absolutely shattered, needing to be met by Jesus. And worship for me was a place of encounter. It's not something that we do, it's a place that we go. I've heard so many uh, similar experiences of encountering Jesus in uh, a worship room. Lots of people have experienced uh, emotional healing. Uh, I know uh, people that have experienced physical healing too as they've worshiped and focused their attention on Jesus callings or people's lives have been issued and lives have been changed as God has encountered his people in worship. And we need uh, worship leaders and musicians, of course, to lead us in worship. They're not here to warm us up or whip up the crowd or anything like that. They're simply facilitating an environment where people can encounter Jesus. Because when God walks into the room, anything can happen. And you know what? I would encourage you uh, to encourage the folk who lead us in worship. Uh, it's really good for them to get some feedback on what's happening in the room. So perhaps like some of those things like resonate with you. Like you just felt like Jesus spoke to you powerfully or, or, or really simply actually in a time of worship. And it's, it, it just, you know, you felt like it gave you an encouragement and a lift for the next week for maybe walking into a situation, maybe you experienced physical healing, maybe actually you felt God speak to you about a calling over your life, whatever it might be. If you felt like you've, you've met with Jesus during worship, actually start communicating some of that with the people who lead us in worship because it's really good for them uh, to have an awareness of that. And it doesn't have to be an incredible miracle story or anything like that. It might just be that God has simply just reminded you this morning that you can trust him in the midst of something that you're walking through. So would you do that? Would you reach out to these guys leading us in worship and encourage them? Would you reach out to each other? When somebody comes and tells me about something that God's been doing in their lives, what it does in my heart is it starts to build up faith and expectation. It sharpens my faith. So really quickly, um, I'm going to look um, for, for the next 10 or 15 minutes or so about the who, the why, and the how of worship. 
Uh, so firstly, let's start with who or what do we worship? And uh, this is uh, kind of obvious in one sense, but it's actually a really important question for you to ask yourself because we become what we worship. We become what we worship. If we put our focus and our attention and our devotion onto worldly things and follow our fleshly desires and impulses, then sooner or later our lives will start to reflect what we worship. Let's take money. Uh, if we worship money or material prosperity, then we will make it our master. We'll do crazy things to get more of it. We'll get greedy. We'll start scheming up ideas to get, 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 and to keep, keep, keep. And we've seen plenty of that play out in a corrupt way in public life. And it's not pretty. And uh, just recently, I uh, watched a really interesting and heartbreaking a documentary about, and I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to invoke legal action, but a, a businessman from Derry Lynn, shall we say, who had a, an empire out in Fermanagh and uh, very, very profitable and uh, was making loads of money and was doing lots of good things, employing people in the local area and uh, supporting the local economy. Um, but greed began to take over. It wasn't enough. More, more, more. And so the grade caused him to gamble and ended up losing it all. And that's what happens when we make something our master, when we choose to worship it. We become like what we worship. Same goes for power. I don't think there has been any dictators in the history of the world that you can look at and say, man, their life was beautiful. Because whether we like it or not, we serve what we worship and we become that which we worship. And in the same way, if we choose to make God the object of our worship, then we put ourselves onto a trajectory of transformation. Our lives reflect Him and we become like Him. If you want to grow and become more like Jesus, then listen up, because this whole thing of worship will shape your life like nothing else. Saint Arrhenius said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. As believers of Creator God and as followers of Jesus, we worship the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the essential reality of the universe, and in a world full of counterfeits, He is the real deal. He's our Creator. He's our Savior. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And the truest, purest, most human form of worship is when our hearts and our lives are fixed on Him. It's only when our lives are centered on Him that they actually make any sense at all. And maybe you're in a place where you're struggling to make sense out of your own life right now. Well, I think worship is the key. In fact, I know it is. So many times for me when uh, I've, I've just had like a situation that, that I've been going on has just been going round and round my head. And as I've worshipped, as I've decided to, 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 to worship, and per, for me, I can play a little bit of guitar so like I, I can pick it up and play, but you don't need to be able to do that. You can put music on, you can sing out your own song, whatever it is. Like as I started to worship, I felt like things lift off me. I felt like clarity. I felt like what didn't make sense, all of a sudden I have clarity and things make sense again. 
And maybe you're in a place where you're just like, there's so much fog around me. Bring yourself into the presence of the one who holds all things together. The beginning and the end. And I think you'll find that things might start to make sense again. We also worship a God who has taken the initiative. He has pursued us. The overarching narrative or story of the Bible is all about a God who is pursuing his people. And we see that again and again throughout history. He has moved to restore and redeem his people. The creator of the heavens and the earth has lovingly and relentlessly pursued us. And that's why we worship him. The story that we're part of is the greatest love story that's ever been told. And worship is our response to the scandalous love of God. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. God has relentlessly pursued you. He's relentlessly pursued each one of us. And he's invited us to participate in what the early church fathers described as perichoresis. And it's a Greek word which means circular dance or divine dance. And perichoresis was the term used to describe the fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we have been invited into that fellowship. We've been invited into the divine dance. We've been invited to feast in his presence and encounter his love. That's why we worship. It's our response to his invitation. And uh, the great thing about going to a party or a feast is that someone else does all the work. Somebody else has set the table, they've laid out the feast, and all we have to do is show up and participate and join in with the divine dance. And I had the privilege of being at a wedding there a couple of weeks ago, and lovely to sit down and be served with a beautiful meal. And there was dancing at that wedding as well, and if you want to ask me and Alan about that afterwards, there's a funny story there, um, which involved me falling over on the dance floor. So thank you very much, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite the divine dance, but there was dancing. But we have been invited into the divine dance, into that relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't need to try really hard to impress him or please him. Our response is to respond to his invitation. So how do we respond Well, the best instructions on how we can respond can be found in uh, Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read it this morning from the message translation, um, which is beautifully put. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. 
readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. And the same passage in the New International Version talks about being a living sacrifice. We worship through a sacred style of living, a God-centered life. Worship is about, about a whole life response to a love of God. And our musical worship is actually just the overflow of a life that's already given to his worship. We worship with our thoughts, our work, our relationships and how we treat each other. Our pursuit of fun and recreation, playing squash or football or running. It's worship. The way we use our physical bodies, it's all worship. And I don't know about you, but as I look at my whole life in a holistic sense, there's no way I spend 100% of my day every day in a posture worshiping Jesus. Each one of us will have times throughout our day and throughout our week where our old nature slips back in and we just don't simply live like we're worshiping or we're fully alive. And that's because we're on a journey. We're being transformed into a new creation. And part of that journey involves bringing what's in the darkness into his light and letting ourselves be transformed into his likeness. Transformation is what happens when we're truly living as worshipers and that involves laying down things and surrendering to him on a daily basis being a living sacrifice so uh, let's ask ourselves what parts of our lives do we need to surrender what parts of our lives do we need to offer up and invite jesus into where have we not given him control Perhaps there's a secret sin that's holding you back from his presence. You actually need to come and confess that. Perhaps you're pursuing ambitions or dreams that just don't bring him honor. Being an authentic worshiper doesn't just mean putting on uh, worship music in the car on the way to work or throwing our hands up in the air on Sunday mornings. It means adopting a posture where we allow the Holy Spirit to show us the parts of our lives that aren't in submission to Jesus. And when we submit to him, we become more fully alive. True freedom begins with surrender, which is countercultural. And it's quite an unpopular message actually these days but the kingdom road is a narrow road we read the gospels and we see there was a lot of fascination in jesus but even though he attracted large crowds not that many people were prepared to make sacrifices and follow him a lot of people turned away they didn't want to walk the narrow road but the narrow road leads us into transformation and life so if you want to know how to worship God in a holistic sense, start asking him what areas of your life he wants you to offer up. Perhaps it's a relationship that you've been holding on to and it doesn't bring health and it doesn't bring life. And he might want you to offer that up. 
Have you given him control of your finances? Does how you spend your time honor him? Do you honor him with your words? Do you honor him with your body? I heard another pastor once say that the culture of a city never rises above the culture in the hearts of the people. So what culture is in your heart? We have a dream for Bangor and the surrounding area. and We're contending for the kingdom of God to come and for the culture of our city to be transformed. But it starts with us. What sort of culture is in your heart? We can have all the smart strategies we want, but the truth is, if we, as the people of God, choose to pursue God with our whole hearts and actually live radical lives of surrender, then we will see our dreams start to become reality. Simple obedience is transformational. Saying yes to Jesus is transformational. So that was a long-winded way of answering the question of how we worship. We worship with our whole lives. We worship by living radical lives of surrender. So how then does music and corporate worship, like what we did this morning and what we'll do again in a moment, how does that come into it? Well, true intimate worship finds voice as we uh, corporately join together and sing and adore Jesus, because as we worship together, what's happening is that we're the people of God coming together, celebrating the victory of God, celebrating what he's done for us, responding together as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters to the invitation of our heavenly Father, entering into the divine dance together as a community. And when we worship together as a church family, we remind each other of the goodness of God. We're calling each other into the presence of God, into communion with God, into the perichoresis, the divine dance. And sometimes we might come in here and we're just like, ah, I just about made it along through the door this morning. It was a battle. I've had a tough week. I don't really feel like worshiping this morning. But as all the people begin to worship around us, what happens is worship stirs worship. And the kind of picture I have of this is like somebody just coming along and linking into an arm and pulling you into the divine dance. And that's often what happens as we worship together when we're just not feeling like it. And we come into community. That's why Paul said, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing because we need each other. We need each other. I try to start my days with uh, worship songs. I focus my attention on Jesus. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week as we start to talk about rhythms and how we can build rhythms of worship in our lives. Um, I can't keep singing all day, but my morning times of worship stir me up to keep worshiping God throughout the day. In the daily interactions I have with others and the decisions I make and everything I do, worship stirs me up to live a life of worship. As a church, every aspect of what we do together, every aspect of our time together is worship. Whether that's doing what I'm doing now and uh, whether we're opening up the word of God together and sharing that, whether we're reading liturgy, singing songs, sharing meals together, 
drinking coffee together. What we do together as a community is all worship. It's not just songs that start at the end of the service. But another reason we choose to sing songs together is because it's something that we can all participate in. We can do it together in one voice. And music has a way of engaging our whole bodies in worship that allows us to more fully express our love and gratitude to him. It connects us to the creative heart of God. So that's a little bit of an intro into why we put such a high priority on worship in the vineyard. If you uh, come back next week, uh, we're going to go a little bit deeper with this and we're going to talk about making thanksgiving and worship a rhythm in our lives. Uh, but Mikey and Rachel, if you guys want to come back up now, um, and just as they do that, I'm just going to throw up on the screen here a couple of ways that you can respond to what I have been sharing this morning. So firstly, you can share your worship stories with others. Encourage each other by telling others and telling these folk who lead us about how God has met you as you've worshipped. You can ask God if there's anything in your life that you need to surrender. Where is it you want in, Jesus? Where are you knocking at the door of my heart? Or you can meditate on Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and commit to leading a life of worship. So those are just three ways that um, you can choose to respond into to help you engage with what Jesus is doing in our lives and in our church community.